Well, Happy New Year. Aren't you glad that 2020 is done? And aren't you looking forward to 2021? You know, the sun is going to come out tomorrow, and in two weeks, we're going to be back to normal. I am so thankful I am not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet at that particular moment. But wouldn't that be nice if that were true? But the reality is there's still a great deal of uncertainty. And whatever normal becomes, it will be a new normal. Things will be different. How different? is still unknown and up in the air. But what's true outside of the church is also true here at Grace. There will be a new normal. When Andy steps down as senior pastor and we install a new lead pastor, things will be different. In a very real sense, this is a unique moment for grace. Andy has been our senior pastor for over 18 years. He was here at Grace for 10 years plus prior to that. And the last time that Grace had a search committee was when Mike Fisher came in the mid-80s. So for over 30 years, here at Grace Bible Church, there's been consistency and stability. So whoever is the new lead pastor, there will be a new normal. So I thought in light of that, it would be helpful for us to be reminded of what the church is. And if I can couch it in the terms of the introduction, this is the normal for the church. This is how the scriptures define who the church is, and it will always be true. What I share with you this morning may not be new, but I take great comfort in the Apostle Peter, who in his second letter to his believers to whom he was writing, in chapter 1 and verse 12, says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. So if you already know all of this, just take this as a reminder, because we all need to be reminded. So let's start with a definition. What is the church? The Greek word defined in the New Testament for church is ekklesia, and by definition, the word simply means called out ones. So the church then is an assembly, or it's a gathering of those who have been called by God, redeemed by Christ, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It is, therefore, a spiritual community because God has done the work. He's the one who has done the calling. Christ is the one who has done the redemption. And the Spirit is the one who guarantees the work's completion. But it's not just a spiritual community. It's also a human community because you and I are in it. And that is where the beauty of the church begins. Because the beauty of the church is in the very design itself. It's a multifaceted human community that is as diverse as possible, yet still one spiritual organism where the presence and power of God lives. This is clearly illustrated in the book of 1 Corinthians. So take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because in the midst of Paul's discussion about spiritual gifts, he gives an illustration about what the church is. 
and he compares the church to the human body. And what he does is he takes the members of the human body, the physical members of the human body, and compares that to the members of the church. A few years ago, there was a TV commercial for a bar of soap that said it's guaranteed to cleanse 2,000 body parts. Now, I don't know if I have 2,000 body parts. I haven't counted or researched it. But if you stop and actually think about your external body parts, there are quite a few from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, whether it's your fingers or your eyes or your ears or your nose and your mouth and your face and your neck and your arms and your legs and your torso and your feet and your toes. And then you add all the internal organs from your heart to your kidney to your liver to the bones that make the structure to the spinal cord that holds your back together, and you take all of those in different places and they have different functions, but when you put them all together, what do you have? One human body. You can't take an arm and a leg, cut it off and set it over there and say you have two human bodies. No, then you have parts. But when it's all together, you have one human body. Paul takes that concept and likens the church, the body of Christ, to the human body. And it's the idea of unity and diversity that flow throughout this text. And what I want you to see in the midst of this text is two significant verses. Verse 18 and verse 25. I'm going to read these and I'm going to come back to these. Verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. You and I are in the church because God desired that. And he has placed us here as he has every member of the universal church. Verse 25. So that, here's the reason. So that there be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. God has done it. God has a reason for it. But let's look in verse 12. For even even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. As I've already stated, despite all the external parts of our body and all the internal parts, it still makes one unit. It cannot be subdivided into several bodies. And that's a picture of the church. Incredibly diverse, yet one spiritual organism. How is that possible? How how is it possible that God takes your uniqueness and all of the people who have come to faith in Christ and all of their different personalities and experiences and education and perspectives and places them together and says it's one body? How is that possible? Verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Did you catch the one? One spirit, one body. The moment you and I trust in Jesus Christ, we are baptized, not with water, but with the spirit. And the word baptize means to immerse, to place into, to identify with. So the Spirit himself identifies us, places us into, immerses us 
into the church, the body of Christ. We are made part of his body. Your humanity, how you identify yourself or how others might identify you, really doesn't matter. Notice how Paul states it. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Now, in Paul's day, that's how people were identified. You were Jewish or you weren't Jewish and therefore you were Gentile. Everybody was in one of those two categories. From a citizenship perspective, you were either slaved, that is, you belonged to someone, you, or you were free. You had citizenship. Those are the categories. You and I in our culture and day would expand on those categories. And we talk about male or female. We talk about people of color and people who are white. We might talk about those who are true Texans and those who are Yankees, recently transported to Texas. We might talk about Aggies or Longhorns. But it doesn't matter how we divide people. It doesn't matter how you identify yourself or how other people might identify you. When you come to faith in Christ, you are one body in Christ. Because we were all made to drink of one spirit, says Paul. The word drink is used of irrigation and saturation. So you, the word could easily be translated saturated with the spirit. The point being, it's the Holy Spirit who has brought us together. And note the word all. All were baptized. All were made to drink of the Spirit. Clearly, every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and made a part of the family of God without exception. That's what the church is. It's a group of people who share the very life of God. We belong to the same Lord. We're indwelt with the same Spirit. And we're intended to function together to impact the world in which we live. How beautiful is God's design. When I left the ministry and retired at 65 and returned back to Texas, I had a discussion with myself about what I'm going to do to keep myself busy. And I've always enjoyed working with my hands, so I decided I'd start opening up a little handyman business and I could put things together and have a little fun. It has expanded way beyond what I anticipated, but that's another story for another time. But I'm a handyman, and I fix broken stuff, and I install new stuff, but I don't design anything. I mean, I might be able to figure out how to put it back together, but I'm not a designer. My wife, however is an incredibly talented and gifted seamstress. It's not that she was trained to do that. She just has a natural gift and talent to do it. And she designs costumes. Some of you have worn some of those costumes on Journey into Christmas. She designs angel gowns, which are burial gowns for young children. And she not only designs them, then she constructs them. She puts them together. She can take a tattered piece of fabric, something that you and I would throw away, and out of it make an incredibly beautiful work of art. That's the design. 
And that's in essence what God has done to us. He has taken old, tattered, broken, fallible people and made us into his church. A beautiful work of art. A masterpiece. Paul goes on in this text and expands on his illustration and basically says, suppose that your body parts, besides your mouth, could actually talk. What are some of the things they might say? Verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? I mean, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. What if the foot could speak, says Paul? What if the foot looked around, because it now has eyes and can speak, and says, I'm at the bottom. I don't really like being at the bottom. And I'm smelly, and I get covered with dirt. Nobody admires my feet. I'm not like the hand. You know, the hand is free to move. The hand is flexible. The hand has nice fingers. So therefore, since I'm at the bottom, and I'm like, often get covered with dirt, I'm not necessary. I'm not part of the body. How absurd is that? You ever tried to walk a mile on your hands? It's hard enough to walk with crutches, never mind on your hands. The feet are incredibly important for the transportation of your body. But suppose this, Paul, he continues on, suppose the ear could speak. And the ear sees itself on the side of your head. And it looks around and it says, well, I'm on the side. The eyes are in the front. I really would like to be in the front and not on the side. And besides, people admire eyes. People say you have beautiful eyes. No one says you have beautiful ears. And because I'm just an ear, I'm not part of the body either. How absurd is that? Because who would hear if you had no ear? In essence, Paul says, suppose the whole body were an eye or an ear. We'd all miss the other aspects of the physical body. God has designed a diverse physical body. And he's designed a diverse spiritual church. God, verse 18, has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Every physical part of your body has a function and it was placed there exactly because God designed it that way the psalmist says we are fearfully and wonderfully made and what's true of the physical body the scriptures say is true of the church God's design for the church is not that we all have the same spiritual gifts because that's the context of this But you expand it and say, God's design for the church is not that we all look alike, that we all vote alike, that we all work alike, that we all dress alike, 
that we all talk alike, that we all root for the same teams or enjoy the same music or even live in the same neighborhoods. God's design is diversity, variety, creativity. Besides, how boring and sad would it be if we were just eyes staring at each other, actually staring at other eyes, with no sound and no way of hearing anything or actually seeing anything else but another eye because nothing else has ever been made. God has placed each individual member of the church in the body just as he desired. Therefore, every individual member of the church is significant, necessary, and important. And not only can you not say, I'm not needed, no one else can say you're not needed. Notice how Paul picks it up in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You may not feel important, but no one else can say you're not important, that you're not significant or a part of the body. What would happen if the eye said to the hand, you're not necessary? How would the pages get turned? How would the piano keys get played? Or how about if the head decides that the feet are not necessary? You know, they're smelly and they're at the bottom and who needs them? How would the head move? How would you get to the refrigerator to get the ice cream? Or the medicine cabinet to get the aspirin if you had no feet? No one can say that any member of the body of Christ is not necessary. We are so interdependent and interrelated that we need each other and each of us is important for the health and well-being an accomplishment of the task of the church. Even the weaker, says Paul, or less desirable are crucial and indispensable. On the contrary, verse 22, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Whatever the weaker, less desirable members of the physical body may be, and there is debate as to what those are, let's just say, for the sake of wrapping this together as a picture that the less desirable of the parts we cover up. You know, the torso. But we wouldn't have a body without it. And once it's covered, it becomes presentable. It looks nicer. And it's necessary and significant. God has composed the body that way. So that even the less desirable, the less honorable compared to the more honorable and more desirable parts, all of it are necessary because God has composed it that way so that there's an incredible mixing of colors, a blending of colors. So there's great diversity in unity. Why did God design the church that way? 
Why did God to take all the uniquenesses of us as individuals, our unique personalities, our unique experiences, our unique educations, our unique perspectives, why did God take all of that? Because, by the way, that's not how you and I would create unity. We would create unity by making us all the same so that we didn't have to deal with conflict. But God says, here's the best way to make unity, and that's use diversity. Verse 25, so that, here's the purpose. Here's the reason why this design of diversity creates unity. Here's the reason. So that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The design of the diversity is God's way of creating unity and care and support. What we see as differences, when infused with the very life of God, becomes the very means of care and support for one another. Diverse, yet one. The word care has the concept of mutual concern for each other. So that we're mutually concerned regardless of our giftedness, regardless of our economic standing, regardless of our race or our education or our marital status or our political persuasion. We care for each other. And each of us are so uniquely different that each of us can care differently how someone else cares. And that's why the diversity is significant. This is not the only text in which Paul says something very similar. I want to read two other texts for you this morning. One's from Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, many members, different functions, so we, who are many, are still one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, that is, we belong to each other. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, exercise them accordingly. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance or forbearance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice it's preserve the unity, not create it, because God has already created the unity. One body, one Spirit, you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One. Despite all of the diversity, there's unity in the body of Christ. The world in which we live points to what separates us. Think about it. If you're a sports fan, you have winners and losers. And nobody wants to be on the losing side. Everybody wants to be on the winning side. See, that's what separates us. That's what makes us different. The world talks about talented musicians and just musicians. And you want to be the talented musician, not just a musician. So whether it's in the performing arts or whether it's in athletics or whether it's in race, our culture points to what separates us 
These are people of color. These are people who aren't. We could do the same thing in the church because we are different. We could point to all that separates us. But if we look at the biblical description of the church, God wants us to understand it's that difference that unites us. There's greater grace in the unity than in the diversity. Greg Van Gelder, in his book, The Essence of the Church, a Community Created by the Spirit, makes the statement, our fragmented world needs to see that a community of diverse persons can live in reconciled relationship with one another because they live in reconciled relationship with God. That's the church. People who live in reconciled relationship with God can live in reconciled relationship with each other. The church is the place where people of different races and colors and personalities and classes come together to function in beautiful harmony. Our gifts differ, our personalities differ, our education differs, our experience differs, our economics differ, our age differs. But we belong to one another in Christ, one body. It's like an orchestra. A lot of different instruments, different sizes, but an orchestra with all of those different instruments is designed to produce a beautiful harmony. So when each of those instruments plays their notes in the same song, you end up with an incredible piece of music. But suppose each instrument decided they didn't like the song. They wanted to play their own song. So somebody's playing the Star Spangled Banner and somebody's playing America the Beautiful. So you have all of these different tunes with all of these different instruments and what do you end up with? Noise. Yet if you take all of those instruments and they're playing the same song with all of that diversity, you have harmony. God has designed the church that all of us are different but we play the same song, the song of the ministry of the Spirit, so that we create harmony. Unity in the body of Christ is like an orchestra. God's design for the church is diversity that brings about unity. And then God adorns his church as his bride. Just turn over one page to Ephesians chapter 5. And in the midst of Paul's description of the role of husband and the wife, he gives this statement about the church. Verse 25, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. We just celebrated Christmas. One of the things is traditionally that we do at Christmas is we exchange gifts. Imagine if God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit exchanged gifts with each other, what would they be? Well, in a very real sense, this text tells us God the Father has given the gift of the church to the Son. We are his gift to the Son. And God only gives good gifts. He gives the church to his Son as his bride. 
When you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, we become the very bride of Christ. He makes a covenant of love with us that cannot be broken. Matter of fact, God is so committed to the church that he died for the church, he rose again for the church, and he's coming again for the church. And he takes all the resources of heaven to make sure that happens. So much so that by the time we get to the end of the book of Revelation, and we're described with the new heaven and the new earth, and all the saints are gathered together, what happens? There's a great feast, and it's called the marriage feast of the Lamb, because the church and all of her glory is presented to the Son, holy, blameless, spotless, no wrinkles, absolutely pure. That's who we are, the bride of Christ. We don't often see ourselves that way, do we? We tend to see ourselves as slugging it out on this side of glory. We might picture ourselves as Cinderella at midnight where we've all turned back into pumpkins. But God sees us as his bride. His pure, spotless, holy bride. And because that is true, and because God has invested himself in that statement, we will someday be totally pure and holy and spotless. The body and the bride of Christ is who we are. That's the normal. We are beautiful in design. We are beautiful in adornment. And because of who we are, or in light of who we are, it's designed to impact how we live. That being the case, let me give you three thoughts to take with you today. How do we live out this truth of being the body and bride of Christ as Grace Bible Church goes through this transition? Number one, remember who you are. Remember who you are, the body and bride of Christ. Celebrate the diversity, revel in the unity. Remember who you are. Two, Matt and Greg both have mentioned this, pray. Every single one of us can and should be praying for God's leading and provision and our following for who God has for the new lead pastor at Grace. And three, since there are a number of one another texts in the book that explain how the, what the church looks like, live out the one another's. Love one another, care for one another, support one another, admonish one another, accept one another, care for one another, forgive one another, greet one another. I know I said those real fast, but you could get a concordance and look those up. In other words, if I summarize that, be the church. Be who you are, the body and bride of Christ. Remember who you are. Pray. Be the church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the simple truths in this text this morning. Thank you for reminding us that we belong to you. You've indwelt us with your very presence. We are your people in this place for this time. Encourage us with that thought today, Father. Draw us closer to yourself. 
that we would honor you and live out the truths of being the body and the bride of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.